Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Single Tracks Podcast. My name is Jeff, and today Aaron and Greg and I are going to be talking about our personal mountain bikes. We do a lot of bike reviews and bike tests, obviously, and we're always talking about other people's bikes, but we thought it'd be fun to talk about our own bikes and maybe give people an idea of the type of bike that we ride, the style of riding that we do. And also, I think when I write a lot of reviews, I use my own personal bike as sort of a point of comparison. So hopefully this will lend a little more insight into some of the reviews that we do. So Aaron, I want to start with you. You have a lot of mountain bikes, so I'm going to limit you to just two, but Tell us a little bit about a couple of your favorite bikes that you own. For sure. Well, I don't have as many mountain bikes as I used to, but I do have a bunch of other bikes. So just sticking to the mountain bike side of things, I have a Kona Process 153. That's, I guess, for a lack of a better term, an enduro bike. It's 153 millimeters of rear travel, 160 millimeters up front. It's long, it's slack all those good things. Probably what I like best about that bike is the way it fits me. It's got a really long reach on it, which Kona was kind of one of the earlier companies to get on the long reach bandwagon. And it's the first bike that I had that had a really long reach and found out that I really liked that. So like you said, as you know, you look at your bikes as a basis of comparison. That's one of the numbers I always look at after I've ridden a bike or checking out other bikes, the reach and stacker figures that I always check out and compare to the Kona. As far as setup goes, I have Cane Creek rear suspension. I started out when I first built up the bike, I started with their double barrel air, which is their, obviously their air shock. But I recently got in their newest shock, which is the DB coil IL, which is inline. Basically it's a mashup of their inline shock and a coil shock. So it's a, it's really cool. Basically, you get the benefits of a coil shock, which are, you know, really supple suspension, really consistent feel, but it's a much lighter package than their, their full DB coil shock. Uh, I've got a pike up front because pike, uh, um, SRAM 1x11 drivetrain running some XX1 carbon cranks on it. Got a gamut chain ring on there, which is, has been great. I run a chain guide just in case. I have a little hope chain guide on there. With between clutch derailers and narrow wide chain rings, it's not really necessary to have a chain guide, but this thing weighs like 50 grams, so it's a couple of sips of water, you know. I've got some older Avid Elixir 7 trail brakes on it. They're four-piston trail brakes, so they're really powerful. 180-millimeter rotors front and rear because I'm a big dude. Currently, I have in for testing some Reynolds Black Label Enduro wheels, which are just phenomenal. They're uh, carbon rims. They're 28 millimeters wide internally. They're laced to some Industry 9 hubs. They're just fantastic. Um, I mean, my personal set of wheels that are usually on it are aluminum, but yeah, the, uh, the carbon wheels have made a huge difference in the ride quality. Of course, Maxxis tires, which does kind of change constantly. I'm a serial tire changer, so... 
I'm not even really sure what's on there at the moment because it's always getting swapped out. As far as like the cockpit goes, I switch between 40 and 50 millimeter stem, kind of depending on what I'm riding. And the bars get swapped out fairly regularly as well, but usually in the 760 to 780 millimeter range. So nice wide bars. And I like a little bit of rise on them. So they're usually 10 to 15 millimeter rise bars. And I got a reverb dropper on there because you need a dropper post. Word. So where do you usually ride that bike? I've ridden it everywhere. Obviously being a enduro bike, being longer travel and slack, uh, it's best suited for steep terrain, rowdy terrain, lots of technical features but uh, you know i've ridden it everywhere it's just the kind of our local trails it's not the best suited for just because it is a little bit heavier it's slack it's really squishy so it's it's not the bike you want to be standing up and sprinting on because the uh, the suspension just doesn't jive well with that it climbs well for what it is if you just stay seated and pedal and just keep motoring you know keep turning the pedals over you'll get there but it's not going to win any hill climbs that's for sure so how did you settle on the Kona process? Were there other bikes you were considering? And if so, why'd you choose the process? Well, I knew I wanted a process. It's actually a funny story. When I ordered it, I actually ordered the process 111, which is the 29er version of the bike. So it's a shorter travel, 29 inch wheels, obviously, where this, uh, the 153 that I have is a 27.5. So anyway, I ordered the frame. And it took forever to get the frame. I think I ordered the frame in November, and I finally got the frame in February of the next year. And when the frame came, it was a 153 and not the 111. So I called up Kona, and they were like, ah, shit, sorry. Well, we don't have any 111s in, so if you want one of those, we can get you one. But it'll be at least a couple more months. And by that point, you know, I'd already been waiting uh, almost four months for a bike. So I was like, ah, screw it. I'll just build this bike up. So it's kind of funny because it wasn't it wasn't the bike I wanted to begin with, but I it's it's a great bike and I've really enjoyed. It. I've had it for I guess going on three years now, and it's an awesome bike for sure. And it's a bike where when I'm descending, I don't have to worry about whether the bike can handle something. If I'm riding an unfamiliar trail and I roll up to a drop that's you know three feet high or something like that, I don't have to worry about where I'm going to land or anything like that. I just have to worry about keeping the front wheel up and, you know, not going over the bars. The bike can handle it. The bike can definitely take way more than, than I can dish out, which is a, it's a good thing for situations like that. Right on. And your other mountain bike is a hardtail. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So the, it's a Zen trail, which some of you may recognize from my review that I did on it, uh, last year. It's a steel frame hardtail it's got a 120 millimeter travel fork up front it's a suntour ion fork which is a great fork for the money it's a little on the heavy side but you know it's also a 500 fork retail so you gotta you know gotta take the good with the bad there i guess got some american classic wide lightning wheels on it which are excellent um they are almost 30 millimeters wide internally they're light and i've been beating the hell out of them for at least two years now. So, um, can't say enough good things about those wheels. Uh, again, Max's tires. I have a high roller two on the rear, a DHR two on the front of that. The drivetrain's a one by 10 Shimano. I've got some race face 
uh, Next SLG4 cranks, which is their their latest uh, lightweight carbon cranks. Avid XO brakes. I've always been a fan of the Avid brakes. That's why I have them on both my bikes. I just prefer the the modulation on them. Two Shimano's and 180 millimeter rotors again because I'm a big dude. Front and rear on that bike as well. Uh, reverb dropper, Thompson stem, and I got a really wide gravity bar. Gravity is a company. It's 777 millimeters wide, which I really like most of the time, except for trying to weave through some of our uh, in-town trails. It can bust some knuckles for sure with that wide of a bar. Yeah, that's a pretty cool build. How much does the whole bike weigh? It comes in at around 25 pounds, so totally respectable. You know, not the lightest thing, but I don't have, for the most part, most of the components aren't very light apart from the cranks. You know, kind of the same thing with the the Kona. I know what I want out of a bike is, you know, I want durability. I want it to, I don't, I don't want to have to work on it. You know, like you said, we ride a bunch of other bikes. So when it is time for me to ride my own bikes, I don't want to have to be constantly working on it. So the priorities for me are function and durability over weight. You know, I build them up how I want them. And then whatever the weight comes out to is just what the bike is going to weigh. Now, saying that, I know I just said I don't care about weight, but with the Zen, I have tried to shave a little bit of weight here and there where I can, but hence the uh, race face crank sets. They shaved at least a couple hundred grams over the aluminum crank set that I was running beforehand, but there's not a whole lot more ways I could shave weight on that bike apart from a new fork. Going with something like a Fox 34 would shave the better part of a pound, but, you know, new Fox fork is... I don't know, 1200 bucks. So that's a big, uh, that's a big chunk of change. So I think I'll probably just keep rocking it as it is right now. Sounds like a good call to me. Okay, Greg. So Greg, you're out in Colorado. Aaron and I live here in Georgia and Greg, you're in Colorado. So you probably have slightly different requirements for the bikes in your shed. So tell us about a couple of your rigs. Well, my primary bike is actually not all that different from Aaron's. Again, my bike, um, my main bike falls into the enduro category for lack of a better term. And it is a GT force carbon pro, uh, 27.5. And I believe it's like 2014 model. So it's going to be a few years old now, but it still does a trick for sure. Uh, it's got 150 mil travel in the rear and I bumped up the front to 160 with the, uh, addition of a different fork. Um, it's got a carbon frame, you know, as mentioned, which, you know, I appreciate, but the GT force is definitely like an overbuilt bike. Like despite the carbon frame it is not light it is burly. It's got a lot of material, which, you know, you don't get some of like the light snappy benefits of carbon, but like I've torn a lot of chunks out of my carbon frame and I'm still not super concerned about it. So I appreciate that. I'll keep you guys from glazing over a bit too much on the specs. So I'll just sort of focus on the things I've changed from the stock build. You can check out the stock build on single tracks in my review of this bike, um, which is how I came to acquire it. But I did change the fork up to a Fox 34 with a Talus up front and CTD. Talus is their travel adjust um, moniker, which um, for me makes a big difference on this bike. Uh, Aaron and I have chatted about this a bit, but um, enduro bikes are really slack, which makes them excellent descenders, you know, very confident, very stable. And I make a lot of use of that here in the Rockies. You know, we have long technical descents with big obstacles in the way. Um, and having 
all that travel, decently long wheelbase and uh, slack geometry makes for a comfortable, more confident ride coming down the mountain. But going up the mountain, you know, having a super slack front end isn't great. Lots of people making enduro bikes say it doesn't matter, but um, it matters. So with a travel adjust, though, you have the benefit of dialing down the front end. So on my 34, uh, it goes from 160 mils down to about 140, I believe. I'd have to double check that, but it's about an inch difference. And some people are like, oh, it makes the front end of the bike shorter travel, so you're more efficient. That's not the big difference. The big difference is a change in the head tube angle. For about every inch um, up front, you change the head tube angle about one degree, which that might not sound like a lot, but riding this bike day in and day out, like it makes a big difference when climbing to steepen that head tube angle a degree. So that makes the, the front end track more confidently on the climbs, not as wandery, um, puts me in a better physical position for that climb. So I do a lot of switching up front with my travel adjust from the climb to the descent and back again. So that's been good time and a good way to compensate for the aggressiveness of this bike because it is not, you know, it is not really a pedaling bike. You know, it's, it's an enduro bike in and out, you know, it's a few years old now, but it's still, it's plenty aggressive. Um, I have changed the wheels. I've got uh, Mavic, I believe Crossmax pros on there, which I also reviewed on the site. Um, I have some Maxxis treads on the wheels as well. And I've switched out a bunch of other components, but ultimately they function pretty similar to what was stock on the bike. You've actually raced enduro on that bike as well. How did it do for that? Yeah, I raced the uh, Big Mountain Enduro Series, and it's just amazing what you know, modern enduro bikes are capable of. We raced some of what are generally considered the most technical, like full-blown downhill bike park trails like in the state, um, specifically at Keystone. They're like old school, like gnarly, rocky, like just some absolutely stupid lines. And I go and look at them like, we're seriously racing down this? And uh, yeah, with a bike like the GT Force, you know, it's not the most comfortable ride down the super gnarly stuff. Like you're going to be more comfortable on downhill bike, but an enduro race, you have to consider the pedally sections and some of the climbs you have to do. And so a bike of this nature is the, the one to take. Ultimately, this bike can handle a lot more than I can. Like, you know, it wasn't easy racing through that stuff, but it's more than capable of doing it, which is pretty impressive. So um, yeah, I was very pleased with it and all those things. Now it's to the point, like I have an older downhill bike that's maybe five years old and it was a low end downhill bike at that point. And, uh, like last summer I took it out to like the beginning of the summer, I took it out to a resort. I was like, ah, I'll try the downhill bike out. And I was riding, I was like, wow, this really kind of sucks. <laughs> it's just to the point where like my enduro bike, because of the, the nice suspension and the, the advances in technology over the past few years, like I'd now I just ride that at, at the bike parks, you know, so it's a fun time. Nice. Working it above its pay grade. So what's your, what's your other mountain bike in your shed? I've got a couple, but probably my next up that gets the most use is my Scott Big John fat bike. And that's a fat bike I acquired um, last winter. Um, I also did a review of it on the site, so feel free to check that out there. But I acquired this bike because, you know, again, I'll spare you some of the details, but it's like a $1,600 MSRP. So um, compared to the Force, you know, it's a lot more affordable. Um, it And the Scott Big John is actually a pretty dang affordable fat bike compared to, you know, a lot of them on the market. But despite that, 
I feel like the frame of the Big John is very future proof. Like it's very well thought out. Uh, the rear end is, uh, oh golly, I'm not going to remember the exact number, but it's sort of the 197. There it is. Uh, millimeter rear hub spacing, which is sort of what is becoming the standard for a full five inch fat bike. So that's like a good rear hub standard. Um, the design of the rear triangle is very good. There's no calf bang for me on that. The head tube, the head tube is a tapered head tube. Um, it comes with a bladed uh, alloy fork to go with the alloy frame, but is fully compatible with a Bluto upgrade. There's some great routing um, on the frame. Like there's dropper post routing, even though it doesn't come with a dropper post. There's like bosses for racks if you decide you want to do that. It has through axles front and rear, which aren't super common, even on a fat bike today. So um, despite being on the more affordable end, I found this fat bike to just be sort of future-proof and upgradable if I decide I want to do that. But even in its stock build, I think it's a very capable fat bike. So I've really enjoyed using that. I use it, you know, obviously for like a lot of snow riding here in Colorado in the winter, but it's also great for riding in some of our super sandy, like deserty zones uh, where you basically can't ride a normal mountain bike. Um, so that's great as well. But I also even use it for a bike packing trip recently. So it's proving to be a pretty versatile mountain bike. Nice. What percentage of your time would you say you split between those two bikes? Depends on the season. I mean, some people are riding their fat bikes all year round. They're like, oh, fat bike's the only bike you need. I'm like, you know, yeah, you can ride your fat bike all year round, but I think normal mountain bikes ride better, you know, on trails. So like during the summer, I didn't touch my fat bike, you know, basically all summer. But now, you know, starting to snow in the mountains, which means you know, it's snow riding, but it's also a really good desert season too. So in the fall, like I ride in lots of super sandy environments and then ride snow up in the mountains. So over the winter, I might ride my fat bike like, you know, 90% of the time. And whereas in the summer, it'd be like 0%. So depends on the season. I definitely switch, you know, once winter rolls around. Yeah, makes sense. So while it's getting really snowy and fat bike season here in Colorado, I know you guys are still enjoying some pretty great dirt in Georgia. So what are you riding right now, Jeff? So my main mountain bike is a Santa Cruz tall boy. That's a few years old now. It's shoot. It's probably four or five years old. Uh, it's a full carbon frame, hundred millimeters travel front and rear. And it's a 29er. Obviously, um, I'm a, I'm a tall guy. I'm almost six foot three. So 29er wheels just seem to fit me a lot better. And I am more of a cross country type rider. So again, it's, it's been a great bike for me. I bought it a few years ago after going to Interbike Outdoor Demo. And it was one of those years where I rode probably six or eight different 29ers in one day. And that was my favorite one by far. And so I was like, I got to get one of those. So that's what I ended up buying. And I've been riding it for a long time since then. I've got, uh, carbon cranks on it the uh shram xo i'm running it one by ten it actually came two by ten but i downgraded to uh one by drivetrain on it and i've got avid brakes fox fork on it basically it's not a it's not a super flashy build but recently one of the things that i did was converted it from 29 to 27 plus 
And I did it just kind of as a review to see sort of what the whole plus thing was about and see if it was even possible with this bike. But it turned out that I really enjoyed it and it's worked well for me. And I, I've kept it that way for about a year. Actually, right now, we're, we're looking at the bike right now. Um, I've got the 27.5 plus wheel on the front, but I've got a 29er wheel in the back. And that's somebody on the single tracks forums asked about that. And I said, Hey, could you do that? Or what would that be like? And I was like, I don't know. I'm going to give it a try. So I've been running it like that for a couple weeks now. It's okay, but I'm going <laughs> to, I'm probably going to switch back to full on 27.5 plus. One of the upsides is I'm, I'm definitely getting less pedal strike. Um, that, that was an issue with the conversion, but it's one of those issues that I'm willing to deal with. The whole bike weighs right around like 25 pounds, 26 pounds, depending what wheels I have on it. Um, but yeah, the bike just, it fits me really well. It's lightweight, which I like. And yeah, it's a, it's a fun bike and it's got more than enough suspension for what I do. You know, I'm not afraid to ride technical trails, but I'm just going to ride them kind of slow. You know, I'm going to pick my way through stuff and I'm not trying to huck off of things and go for like speed. Uh, records, but you know, I do like to have full suspension to take a lot of the harshness out of the trail and, and especially for like longer rides as well. I found that having a full suspension bike like the tall boy really helps me stay fresh longer. Yeah. That's, that's compared to my other bike, which is a hardtail 29er. Um, and I, I bought that one the same way that I bought the tall boy. I, it was, 2009 at Interbike and I was testing that was when 29ers were still pretty new and I was testing a lot of different 29ers and back then there was a lot of problems with some of the bikes like there was a thing called like toe rub where like your toe would touch the front tire like if you turned it the wrong way and you know your your foot was in the wrong position and there were a lot of bikes that had that and so the this Redline D660 was one that I tested and it didn't do that. And I was like, whoa, this is awesome. <laughs> this is a great bike. So that's the one that I ended up buying. And the way it came stock, it came with like Avid BB7 brakes, uh, which are, you know, the mechanical disc brakes. It had a one by nine drivetrain, which back then was pretty rare. Redline at that time was known for their 29ers, specifically for the monocog, which was like a single speed. So Redline was all about like, you know, minimal gearing and yeah, just kind of simple, but durable bikes. And so, yeah, I, I really fell in love with that bike and bought it and rode it for years. And over the years, it's funny too, cause I, I would like upgrade the, um, drivetrain. So I put like a two by 10 on it, ran that for a little bit, but now I'm back to the one by nine just cause I like that better. And then same with the brakes, you know, I put hydraulic brakes on, there were different brakes I was testing for review and stuff. And I would run those for a while, but then they, you know, need to be bled and all that stuff. And so I finally just went back and put the BB sevens back on it. So the bike is like pretty back to, much back to stock. Yeah. It's back <laughs> to stock because that's how it rides. Well, you know, at least that's how it, that's how I like it. So um, right now I don't ride that one much. Cause like I said, I, I like having a full suspension bike just to take some of the harshness out of, out of the rides. And, and I can go a little bit faster for sure on a full suspension bike. So the hardtail is kind of relegated to like neighborhood, you know, kid duty, you know, where I've got 
stuff. Uh, you know, that was the bike I used to carry the trailer when the kids were really little. And it's the one I've got this thing called a tight toter on it now. So the three-year-old can like ride on the bike with me. So yeah, it's kind of a utilitarian bike, but it's still, I still love that bike and it's still really solid. And as kids get bigger, maybe I'll be able to take it back and actually get it on trail more. So Aaron, I forgot to ask you, what's the split between the, your two bikes? Which one do you ride more? And why? Well, honestly, I found myself more and more on the hardtail. I rode several different bikes this year for testing, so I didn't touch either of my bikes for most of the, the spring and summer. And once it was kind of time to send everything back, I pulled the hardtail down just because I hadn't ridden it in so long, and I re-fell in love with that bike. I just, it's just such Aww. a, I know, right? <laughs> it's uh, That's sweet. I missed you. It's just such a it's just such a great bike. It's just so the the ride quality is great. The geometry is awesome. Pretty much the only thing it's missing is sliding dropouts for single speed conversion. If it had that, it would be hands down perfect. But yeah, more and more I find myself on the hardtail. A big part of that is the function of who I ride with. A lot of my my friends are uh for a lack of a better term, they're just hammerheads. They like to go and just I mean, kind of like you, Jeff, that's <laughs> so I, trying to ride behind this guy on Tuesday night. You don't, you know, you don't want to be riding an enduro bike because it sucks to try to sprint and, you know, you're sprinting out of every corner and where, where we are, the local trails, you don't have extended descent. So it's just constantly up and down and up and down and up and down. And if I'm feeling good on the Kona, I can hang with whoever, but it definitely takes it out of you. And, you know, by the end of the ride, you're just worked. So most of my time is spent on the hardtail. I would actually say now that we're transitioning into fall and winter, I do tend to spend a bit more time on the Kona because, you know, the, the rides tend to be, you know, a little more chill. Everyone's out there just to have fun. It's not like the spring and summer where we're all just beating up on each other. And it also depends on who I'm riding with. You know, I do have friends that ride longer travel bikes and, if we're all going out together, I'll take I'll take the Kona out. But yeah, if I'm going to be riding with with some of my buddies, I I know that uh, if I if I take the Kona, I'm going to be dragging ass all day long and you know just getting smoked on the climbs and being a competitive person. I I <laughs> that doesn't sit well with me. I want to be able to hang. So I'd probably say right now it's a seventy thirty split with seventy percent of my time being spent on the on the hardtail. Ooh, that's interesting. One thing I forgot to mention too is neither of my bikes have dropper posts on them. So some people were offended when we recently posted a thing saying like, <laughs> I forget what it was, 38% of people don't have a dropper post and people thought that we were calling them out. But, you know, I'm here to tell you, I don't have one either. You know, I, I'd like one, I guess, but I also don't like how unreliable all of them are. So... I'm waiting. Part of the 38%, Jeff. I'm part of the 38%. The <laughs> 38 percenter. Yes. Okay, so we covered the bikes that we currently own, but like all mountain bikers, we're always looking for that next bike, that next great rig. So what are you guys thinking for your next bike? What's the next bike you, you hope to buy or that you even plan to buy? Let's start with you, Greg. Ooh, that's a tough one. So let me set this up a little bit. So you know, suspension components, wheels and tires, I've all gotten really good over the past few years. You know, people like to decry like all the latest and greatest stuff coming out, but it makes a big difference as things add up over time. So, 
you know, with how good those components are getting, I would kind of want to go with like a shorter travel full suspension trail bike because, you know, with the head tube angles getting slacker and the suspension getting better and lighter components getting more durable, like a shorter travel trail bike can handle a heck of a lot of terrain. It's pretty impressive. So um, I would also, though, to compensate a bit for the short travel, like some 27.5 plus wheels and tires to go along with it. So something in about the 120 mil to 140 mil 27.5 plus range would be about perfect. Something like the new Scott Spark trail bike, which I reviewed on the site, would be rad. Maybe the Rocky Mountain Pipeline, which I haven't had the chance to ride yet, but seems to fit pretty closely into that category. Potentially like the Ibis Mojo 3, but a big factor for me on all my bikes and going forward is frame bag space and having room in the main triangle for a bag. And uh, some bikes like the Yeti SB5 Plus and the Ibis Mojo 3 um, aren't good for frame bags because of the way the frame is designed and where the shock is placed. So as much as those bikes look really cool, so the utility of the frame is a big consideration for me as well. So all that will play into my next decision for sure. What about you, Aaron? What are you jonesing for? Well, I'm I'm right there with Greg. You know, as I mentioned earlier, the the Kona Process 153 wasn't the exact bike I wanted in the first place. I was looking for something that was shorter travel but had that new age geometry, um, which is why I wanted the 111. So, you know, as much as I I have ended up loving the Kona, it's it's uh it's about time for for something new. I just want something with less travel, like Greg said, 120 to 140. I think 140 rear would definitely be the max that I wanted to go. Um cuz you know, I want something that's going to be capable on the descents, but you know, something I can also hang with more people on the climbs. I'm looking at 275 and 29 bikes. I don't really care for plus bikes. That's just not not my deal. So that's not important to me. And, you know, just logistically speaking, I have more 27.5 parts. So that's probably what I'll end up going with. And I, I like to build bikes up from, from a frame. So that's kind of, I'm just kind of looking for a frame only right now. One of the drawbacks is, uh, as I'm sure some of our listeners have had to deal with is boost compatibility. I've got a bunch of really nice wheel sets and none of them are boost compatible. And that kind of sucks because trying to find a frame that isn't boost anymore is pretty tough. I mean, if you're looking for something new, the pickings are real slim. Um, and I don't really want to get a used frame because I've already got a used frame. <laughs> so some of the bikes I'm looking at are at the Santa Cruz 5010. It looks like a great bike. I've got a few friends that have that and they are very capable bikes that still climb well and pedal well. And, uh, yeah, big fan of that bike. Uh, the GT Sensor, I did not get a chance to ride it, but saw it at um, Interbike this year. And uh, Jeff, you rode it and really liked it. And I just think it's a bitchin' looking bike. But unfortunately, that one's not available as a frame, at least currently. The Turner Flux, which I rode at uh, Interbike this year, was a really surprising bike. And it's right in line with what I'm looking for. It's carbon which is nice. Carbon's not a necessity for me. I actually kind of prefer metal because, you know, when you crash and land on some rocks, it's it's a lot better to have a metal bike at that point than uh, carbon. The, yeah, so the, the Turner's really cool, and it's kind of 
gotten moved towards the top because it is not a boost bike. So I could just take the parts I have right now and slap it on there and be good to go. And the, like, as Greg mentioned, the Mojo 3 is a really, it's just a gorgeous bike. That's a, that's one I would consider as well, but it is boost. So, Well, I've mentioned it on a previous podcast, I think, but the bike I really like right now is the Surly Wednesday, and that's a fat bike. Actually, you know, probably my second choice after the Wednesday is also a fat bike. So maybe I don't know what that's about because I live in Georgia. But yeah, I just, I really love the, the fat tires on the plus bike. Obviously, I'm, you know, I'm trying to make my 29er into a fat bike. So I might as well get a real <laughs> fat bike. I think what I also like about the Wednesday is like Greg mentioned, the ability to run frame bags is huge. I've, I've never been a fan of running camelbacks or any kind of anything on my back. So, and then also, yeah, I'm just a fan of like the simplicity of just seeing what I can get away with in terms of like the lowest end components that don't, <laughs> that don't break, you know, but they're still nice. not like, oh, I hate this thing so much. So, you know, the Wednesday has mechanical brakes. It's got, like a X5 drivetrain, you know, nothing fancy, but also nothing that I'm going to be cursing at like all the time. And then, yeah, I mean, I would say my second choice would be like a salsa bucksaw, which would be the, their full suspension fat bike. It's been a while since I've ridden one, but, but at the time that I, I rode it the first time, I just remember thinking, man, this is, this is like the best mountain bike I've ever ridden, but it had less of like a fat bike feel to it and more of just just a really capable, heavy-ish bike. So, but that one costs way more. So the Wednesday <laughs> is probably going to be the one that I end up getting first. There you go. Sweet. So this has been fun talking about our bikes. Hopefully by hearing a little bit about our mountain bikes, you've learned a little bit more about us as mountain bikers and also as reviewers. If you want to see more about the bikes that we own and some of the components that we've reviewed, be sure to check single tracks because we've been writing about this stuff for a long time. <laughs> That's true. Thanks for joining us this week. Talk to you again next week. Peace.